The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to The Fighter versus The Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin, and I am excited about the show we have today coming off the heels of UFC 275 because we have another big event coming up this Saturday, UFC Austin. I would argue UFC Austin is a really, really, really solid card, especially for for the uh, what we call free TV. It's never free because you're paying for ESPN or ESPN Plus or whatever, but the non-pay-per-view cards, uh, I would argue this card might actually be stronger then UFC 275 minus the title fights. I mean, again, you know, you can argue here and there, but there's some great fights this weekend. So uh, I'm actually going to be talking to one half of the main event, Josh Emmett. He taught, he takes on Calvin Cater in the five round main event, featherweight, huge fight for the way for the featherweight division, especially with Max Holloway and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky fighting just a couple of weeks later at UFC 276. So I'm going to talk to Josh Emmett about his fight with Calvin Cater his prospects for that uh, for that Volkanovski Holloway fight, and of course featherweight, the featherweight division. Also today, we're going to be uh, joined for the first time since announcing her retirement. Felice Herrig is going to stop by the show uh, to discuss her decision to retire, how that all came about. You know, coming back from a couple of knee surgeries, uh, you know, dealing with the rehab, the, the rehabilitation, uh, and then recovery time, and then coming back and actually fighting again and then ultimately making the decision to retire. So it's her first interview since that has happened. I'm always happy to speak to Felice, so we're going to talk to her about that and what she's doing in the future, because while MMA is done, combat sports may not be done for her. So we'll talk to her in a little bit as well. Uh, first things first, before we get to that, I do want to give a couple quick thoughts on UFC 275 this past weekend from Singapore. Main event, obviously, Yuri Prohoshka with a uh, improbable fifth-round submission win to beat 
Glover Teixeira to become champion. What a fight. Uh, incredible war between two guys who both had huge moments in the fight. Of course, Yuri had Glover hurt several times. Glover had Yuri mounted, uh, had him in bad positions on the ground with submissions. Yet in the end, Yuri Prohoshka becomes the first person to ever submit Glover Teixeira, which is crazy because I said it. I think a lot of analysts said it. I think a lot of fighters said it. The key to this fight for Glover Teixeira was one takedown might be all he needs. Well, as it turns out, he got a lot of takedowns, got a lot of bad positions, got a lot of submission attempts. Still couldn't put away Yuri Prohoshka. In the fifth round, Yuri snatches that rear naked choke, doesn't even put the hooks in, and he ends up getting the submission. What an incredible win for Yuri. Of course, if you watch over on my Instagram feed, at uh, Damon Martin, or you go on to MMAfighting.com, you will see the uh, parade, the uh, mass uh, amount of people who showed up in the Czech Republic to welcome Yuri Prohoshka home. Over 7,000 people, according to his manager, Tim Simpson. Uh, what an incredible moment for him. And of course, for the entire country and in, in the Czech Republic, you know, we don't, um, I love those videos. I love those homecoming videos. We see those a lot, especially in, uh, when a, when a fighter, you know, comes home and it's the first champion of that country or whatever. And we see the huge outpouring of support. Uh, it's amazing to see that. And it was really cool to see that. A lot of talk about, you know, the fight itself. It was an incredible fight, but what happens next? That's really an interesting question because, you know, right afterwards, Glover said, you know, rematch, question mark, tag Yuri Prohoshka in it. It was a close fight. You could argue that Glover was up 3-1 going into the fifth round, maybe 2-2, depending on how you scored. I think I had it 3-1. If I remember correctly, I'd have to go back and remember exactly how I scored it because I was writing at the same time. So I may need to go back and rewatch it, but I think I had it 3-1 Glover. And, you know, he comes in and, and, and Yuri puts him away in the fifth. Would I be opposed to an immediate rematch? No, not necessarily, because you don't really have a clear-cut number one person. I mean, listen, you will not find a bigger fan of Jan Blahovich than this guy right here. I love Jan Blahovich, one of the genuinely nicest guys in this business, always gracious with his time, an incredible fighter. But you can't erase the somewhat controversy surrounding the Rakic fight. You know, he beat Alexander Rakic. And listen, injuries are part of the fight. Doesn't doesn't negate what the fighter did before that. And I thought Jan was having a pretty solid fight. But, you know, again, there's going to be the questions. You know, did he finish Rakic or did Rakic's knee give out? I would argue that the constant leg kicks that Jan Blahovic was landing and, and doing damage earlier you know, and then when Rackage stepped back, his knee popped and that was it. But again, it wasn't a definitive ending. So I understand the argument to say that, well, do you really want to give Jan the title shot off that? Then you have the fight coming up on July 30th at UFC 277 between Anthony Smith and, of course, Magomed Ankalaev. Now, I think Ankalaev has the better argument. He's on a long winning streak. Uh, has some you know pretty good wins on his record, and if he beats Anthony Smith, that's a statement win right there. You could easily argue that he should jump right in and fight Yuri Prohoshka. What's working against Ankalaev is his last couple of fights have not been all that thrilling. Now, I'm not saying you need to have thrilling fights during title shots. That should not be a prerequisite to a title shot just because you're exciting or not exciting. But when you're trying to put an exclamation point on a title fight opportunity, 
you want to leave an impression in people's minds to where they're pushing for it as much as you are, where, you know, people are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else saying, this is the guy you got to give this guy a title shot. Unfortunately, in his last couple of fights, as good as Ankalaev has been, he hasn't really had that kind of showing where people are banging the drum saying, oh my God, this has got to be the guy. And that's hurting him. I don't think that's going to be possible against a guy like Anthony Smith, who is pretty much an all-action fighter. Anthony Smith is a very much a go-big-or-go-home kind of guy. He does not go out there and typically put on boring performances, but you could have said the same thing about Tiago Santos you know, a couple of years ago, and Tiago's had a couple of not so great fights in a row. So you never know if Ankalaev wins definitively. I think he probably has the most compelling argument to jump in there. Anthony Smith, if he can knock out Ankalaev, which I think is going to be really difficult to do. I think Ankalaev is a really high level striker. Um, but if Anthony Smith can go out there and knock out Ankalaev, he makes a compelling argument. But at the end of the day, I'm not, necessarily against Glover Teixeira getting a rematch. It's a weird, and again, this all could not, as bad as it is for Glover to lose the title, of course, it's not what he wanted. You know, he wanted to win this and maybe another one and then retire on that. But in this situation, putting on an all-time classic fight where you were at worst tied or maybe winning up to that point in the fight, and then the rest of the division is kind of unsettled right now where you could say, yeah, Jan Blahovich, give him the title shot. Okay, I can see that. Or you could say the winner, Ankoliyev Smith. Okay, give him the title shot. Again, I can see it. But I think there is a compelling argument to say, just run it back. Let him do it again. Let's see what happens. Um, I'm not always in favor of immediate rematches. Actually, I would argue I'm mostly against immediate rematches, but this is one case where I don't think I'd be really that opposed to it, but it depends on how quickly they move on it. Because if you wait until after July 30th and Ankalaya or Smith put on a big performance, one of them goes out there and gets a big knockout, a convincing win, then they're going to make a strong argument right there to say, give me the title shot. Unless the UFC is going to go to Europe, if they're going to put on a card in Europe somewhere, then you got to do Jan versus Erie because one guy's from Poland, the other guy's from the Czech Republic. I just don't think the UFC is going to do a pay-per-view in Poland or Europe right away. Maybe I'm wrong. I know they're going to Paris in September. It's going to be a fight night card. We'll see. We'll see how they do. We'll see if they decide to do it. It's been a long time since they've done that. The time difference is a nightmare. We'll see. Uh, Co-main event, of course, Tyler Santos put on a performance of a lifetime, but ultimately came up short in a split decision to Valentina Shevchenko. Now, I'm not going to sit there and argue the merits of the fight, whether, you know, who won, who lost. I scored at 48-47 for Valentina Shevchenko. I thought she won. Close fight. I don't really see a huge argument against uh, against uh, Tyler winning 48-47. Although, again, I felt pretty good with 48-47 for Valentina. Here's my thing. Valentina said after the fight that she had a foot injury going into it. Now, she said it wasn't so bad that she ever considered dropping out, but there was moments when she couldn't walk on it. She couldn't jump on it. My pro It's not a problem because it's Valentina's title. It's her fight. But here's the thing. If she had lost that fight, they would have given her an immediate rematch. We all know that. that she would have 100% gotten the rematch with Tyler Santos tomorrow. We'd be talking about it already being booked. They would have probably given a date at this point. 
but the risk of going in there like that, like Valentina is a warrior. And, and again, I thought she won the fight even without that, but the risk that she took fighting with an injured foot. And if you watch the fight and this is to take nothing away from Tyler Santos, but if you watch the fight, Valentina did not quite look herself. She was not as fluid on the feet. She was forcing takedowns, forcing the clinch, things like that, things that she doesn't typically do. Um, and it was kind of a weird performance from, in my opinion, the best pound for pound women's fighter in the world right now. And to me, it's not really that close, but it was a weird performance. And I wonder how much of that was because she was dealing with a foot injury. She couldn't strike the way she wanted to. She wasn't throwing kicks quite the way she normally does. She wasn't moving the way she normally does. I just wonder if how much of that played a factor being the foot injury. And if that's a factor, it scares me that she was willing to take that fight with an injury because she was one scorecard away from no longer being champion. I mean, the, the risk the fighters take is already beyond insane just stepping in there. But when you're stepping in there, you know, at a compromise, you're stepping in there compromised. Um, so much risk involved with that. And it's crazy that Valentina, you know, acknowledged it. And the only reason she acknowledged it was because someone said, why didn't you do your post fight dance? That's the only reason we know about the foot injury. She didn't bring it up. She wasn't like, you know, Hey, by the way, I didn't have my great best night at the office. Cause I was dealing with a foot injury. Someone asked her why she didn't dance. And her explanation about why she didn't dance was the foot injury. And then someone said, did you ever think about taking, you know, jumping out of the fight? And said, no, not even, didn't even consider it. That's the heart of a warrior. That is the, that is, you know, what makes, that's what separates, uh, you know, Valentina Shevchenko from the average person. But at the same time, the risk reward is so great in those situations. I mean, the run that Valentina's on right now is an all time great run. Seven title defenses. She just broke Ronda Rousey's record for the most title defenses by a woman in the UFC. All those things are great, but you risk so much by going in there compromised. It's again, she got the job done. We can't sit here. We can say hindsight's twenty twenty. You shouldn't have done it. She did it and got the job done and got the win. But man, that's just terrifying to me because one scorecard difference would be telling a whole different story today and the risk she took fighting on a, on an injured foot. And of course, last but not least, let me mention Yoana Young Jacek, of course, retired after her knockout loss to Zhang Wei Li. Let me first pay credit to Zhang Wei Li. What an incredible knockout. Spinning back fist. Uh, spinning backfist night knockouts might be my favorite knockouts in MMA. Like I like the spinning wheel kicks. I like, you know, a lot of the high kick, you know, the, the, the highlight reel knockouts. I think spinning backfist might be my favorite knockout because they're usually insane when they happen or spinning back elbows. Let me also throw that in there. Yuri Prohashka, Dominic Reyes is a great example. Um, so first let me give credit where credit's due to Zhang Wei Li for an incredible knockout. That being said, it does kind of break your heart. You know, Joanna and Jacek, you know, I, I, of course, I interviewed her. Uh, I've interviewed her many, many times, but I interviewed her leading into this fight. She sounded so ready, so excited, so just anticipating being back in there to, to win and go fight for the title again. To go from that and then the roller coaster back down to the, you know, the, the, the peaks and valleys, so to speak, to go down and retire. I'm not, I'm not surprised that she retired because Joanna has a million things going on right now. She has a lot of businesses and opportunities in, in her home country in Poland. She travels to the United States to, to train over an American top team. And she, you know, she sacrifices a lot for her fight career. And especially over the last couple of years with the businesses and the, and the uh, sponsorships and endorsement deals and all the different things she's doing, 
she doesn't necessarily need to fight right now. So it wasn't totally shocking to me that she that she retired, but it's still a bummer because Joanna is a legend. She's one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport. Um, one of the best people I've ever met. I told this story on Twitter. I've told it on Instagram, and I'm sorry I'm telling it one more time. But a couple of years ago when I was at my old gig, uh, I was uh, pitched the opportunity to go down and spend a week with Joanna in Florida. She got ready for her fight with Jessica Andrade. And so I flew down to Florida. I uh, went down there for a week. I spent a week at American Top Team with Joanna. I uh, went to Joanna's house to do interviews, you know, kind of followed her around for a week. And you could not meet a more gracious person person with her time. She was so incredibly nice, so incredibly, uh, you know, considerate. I was in the middle of her training camp. Uh, and, you know, in, I mean, you know, I was, I was invading her life for a week straight and you could not have met a nicer, kinder person to, you know, basically allow me that access. And um, again, I'm not going to rank, you know, fighters that I just, you know, that I have so much respect and admiration for and have always been incredibly good to me over the years. But if there was a list, Joanna would be near the top because she's just an incredible person, an incredible ambassador for the sport. And what a fierce, ferocious competitor. And the division's going to miss her. I mean, without a doubt, the division's going to miss her. She was gone for two years, and people were still buzzing about Joanna Young-Jacek, her last fight, when she's coming back, when she's going to be a champion again, all these different things. She's going to be missed. She's going to be sorely missed now that she's gone. Uh, but I will say... I. Something in the back of my head tells me this really is it for her. I know that, you know, and you'll hear me talk about it later with Felice Herrig. Uh, generally, when fighters say retirement, I always approach it with a with a big, healthy dose of skepticism because so many times fighters say, oh, I'm retired. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, they're, they're saying, well, maybe not, or maybe I'll come back, or I never say never, or whatever. I actually think Joanna might be really, really be done because I, I feel like she has enough going on in her life outside of fighting. I know for a long time she's wanted to start a family. Those are all things that she can do now. And I really do wish her the best. And uh, I know she talked, mentioned it on Saturday, maybe getting into management. Uh, that would be really cool. Uh, of course, she's a pioneer in, in Polish MMA. So, I mean, it would be really interesting to see that aspect for her. Um, whatever she does, I'll root for Joanna again, incredible person. Uh, what a tremendous career. She's another one. There's been a few occasions in the UFC where a fighter retires and like the next day, I feel like they should announce them going into the hall of fame. I said it with Khabib. I said it with Michael Bisping and I'll say it right now with Joanna. She retired on Saturday by Monday morning. Dana White should be calling her saying, Hey, we're inducting you to the UFC hall of fame in July in two weeks. Hope you can make it. Thank you for all your service. That's how iconic and legendary that woman is. Get her in the Hall of Fame right now. Just put her in right now. You got an induction ceremony in two weeks. Who's going to argue or complain that you got to upset the program a little bit to add Joanna freaking Young Jacek? Put her in the Hall of Fame tomorrow is my argument. Um, she's an icon. She's a legend. And uh, she will be missed. But again, best to her on her endeavors going forward. I'm sure she's going to be very busy. And I fully intend on having her back on the show, uh, doing interviews in the near future. Uh, I texted, uh, with her manager right after the fight. And I said, retirement or no retirement. She's not done with me because I'm still going to be bugging her for interviews. So I promise you, Joanna will be back on the show. Joanna will be back doing interviews with me, uh, sooner rather than later. I think she's actually on vacation, a well-deserved vacation right after the fight. So hopefully we'll get her on, uh, relatively soon. With that being said, we're going to shift gears from UFC 275, 275, 
Yeah, 275. I lose track of the numbers. UFC 275 to UFC Austin. Going back to Austin, Texas this weekend. I love Austin, Texas. Incredible city. Uh, Main event, Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater. A win for Josh Emmett. Now, I don't want to discount a win for Calvin Cater, but I'm saying a win for Josh Emmett could put him in a perfect position to be number one contender in the featherweight division. Now, Calvin's in a slightly different situation because, of course, he had the loss to Max Holloway. He's since come back and won, you know, his fight since then looked incredible doing it. Calvin wins, and if Volkanovski wins, you could start making that argument. Uh, if Holloway wins, and, well, if Holloway wins, they're going to do the trilogy, let's be honest. I mean, they're they're probably going to do the trilogy with, uh, with Max Holloway and Volkanovski. But, um... Volkanovski wins. Yeah. Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater winner could be in there. So uh, let's talk right now to one half of that main event. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with Josh Emmett. So let's see what he's got to say about Calvin Cater, about the title fight between Max Holloway and Volkanovski and a whole bunch more. He is one of the top featherweight fighters in the world. And on June 18th, it may be time for him to earn a title shot. He gets a main event fight against Calvin Cater. I am always happy to speak to Josh Emmett. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm super busy, uh, but thanks for having me on as always. And uh, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. I appreciate taking the time. Of course, as I said, the fight announcement has been made June 18th, Austin, Texas. You and Calvin Cater, main event. Uh, of course, you did the podcast. We were doing the review of the last uh, major UFC pay-per-view, two, pay- two pay-per-views ago, excuse me. Uh, we were talking about the featherweight division. We were talking about like what's next for you. We were kind of waiting and finding out what was going to happen. Were you happy that this was the call? Yeah, definitely. You know, as we spoke last time, it was, uh, you know, I'm doing whatever I have to, to get to that title shot. Uh, they, you know, they, they offered me Calvin Cater and and I think that's the perfect fight. I think it's the, uh, the fight that gets me there. Um, he's a, a tough, tough, dangerous opponent, but you know, I'll be ready and, and I'm going to put on a hell of a fight for the fans and, uh, do what I have to do to get my hand raised. Absolutely. You know, coming out of the Alexander Volkanovsky uh, Korean zombie fight, one of the conversations we had was kind of the confusion about like what's going on at Featherweight because we did know are they going to remake the match Max Holloway fight. You were kind of waiting to see who you were going to fight. Now we know they are going to rematch. Of course, Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway are going to meet for a third time in July. You're now fighting in June. In a way, did this kind of work out perfectly? If you're not going to get the title fight, it feels like this is a natural number one contenders fight. Am I wrong? No, no, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, I, I feel like Max, he, he deserves that fight. You know what I mean? It's like the, the second fight was close, so we knew this was going to happen again. They were going to do a trilogy. And, uh, you know, Cater and I are fighting two weeks prior to the featherweight um, title, you know? So, I, so I, I feel like this is a number one contender uh, fight. I, I feel like the, the winner gets the shot of these two fighting July 2nd. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect scenario because when you look at the lay of the land, I know there's been rumors. I'm sure you've heard the rumors as well as I have that Brian Ortega may be fighting Yair Rodriguez, and they're kind of in a different position because, of course, Ortega has fought and lost to both Holloway and Volkanovski, and, of course, Yair's coming off the loss to Max Holloway, so they're kind of in a different position. You and Calvin Cater both coming off wins, uh, you know, both obviously right around that top five area, and the only other guy that's kind of left out there is Arnold Allen, and from my understanding, he's dealing with an injury, I think a hand injury, so he's out of action right now, so it kind of works out perfectly that this one is being made, as you said, two weeks before the title fight, 
seems like the winner would get a title shot. I know the UFC doesn't typically tell you that. They're not calling you and saying, hey, this is the number one contenders fight. But in your mind, like you have to imagine that's the way they're setting this up, right? Yeah, no, I feel like you you just uh, mapped it out perfect. You know, it's uh, those guys are fighting to see who's who's the best featherweight on the planet. And then Yair and Ortega, they both fought the top guys. They're phenomenal fighters. And they are, I, I've seen the same thing that I think they're scheduled to fight later this year. Uh, or, or shortly after. So um, I, I really feel like Calvin Cater and I were the only ones that have not got to fight at the, the very top of the division. And, you know, this is a number one contender fight in my mind. This is, you know, this fight is the, the path to the championship. Are you happy that this is the kind of opportunity you finally got? Because you and I have spoken several times about the difficulty you've had getting some of the higher rank guys to just kind of call your name. You know, as you've been coming up the ranks, you know, you've been trying to get higher rank guys. And when you came back from injury, you know, you got Dan Ige. Now, Dan Ige is an incredible fighter, but he wasn't as high as you in the rankings at the time. I think he was right below you. But either way, you know, you were kind of you really wanted to climb. You wanted that chance to climb. Uh, was this like the perfect scenario because Calvin is an established, you know, guy, of course he's had main events. He's had big fights. He's coming off a big win over a very good opponent. His last fight as well, over Giga Chikadze. Um, again, this is kind of what you've been waiting for. Now I imagine you kind of put it on yourself to say, Hey, I got to make the most of this opportunity. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, it's like, that's why I've been working my ass off. Um, you know, my entire life and everything that I've done has prepared me and led me to this point. Um, it, it's a huge opportunity and, and I'm going to take full advantage of it. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, Cater, this will be his fourth main event in a row. He's, he's fought some of the best guys. Like I always say, everyone in the UFC is good. As you get closer to the top, they're even better. Um, I want the best Calvin Cater. Um, I feel like I'll rise to the occasion. It'll bring out the best in me and I will show the world how great I am. Yeah. Now let me ask you about Calvin because Calvin's a, in an interesting situation because he's been a top five, top six guy for a while now, but he had that fight with Max Holloway. He lost. Now there's no shame in any world to lose to Max Holloway. But suddenly it's almost like he became a weird gatekeeper, which I don't agree with that because, again, Calvin's a very good fighter. But, like, when he was getting ready to fight Giga Chikadze, everyone was buzzing about Giga, saying, oh, Giga's the guy. Maybe Giga could have got that short-notice fight with Volkanovski that Korean Zombie ended up getting. Everyone kind of looked past Calvin Cater. And then he goes out there and puts on a, you know, a masterpiece, just a dominant performance against a, a really legit good striker in Giga Chikadze. Um, I know you're not in any way, shape, or form looking past Calvin Cater but when you look at this fight like do you feel like it's kind of the same scenario here where you're not a guy who's fought for the title yet you're not a guy who's fought Volkanovski or Holloway so I think a lot of the eyeballs are going to be can Josh Emmett get to that title shot can Josh Emmett you know get past this test to get there but I know you're not looking past Calvin Cater I think that kind of fuels him a little bit I think he kind of likes being the underdog a little bit yeah, no, no, I agree. And and by no means is Calvin Cater a gatekeeper. You know what I mean? He fought arguably one of the best featherweights of all times. And, and he got better from that. You know, he, he took some time off. He came back and, and beat a tough uh, Giga, you know, and a lot of people were counting him out and I saw that, but I, I just feel like, I feel like Cater, he, he, he's a dog, man. Like I, I think his strongest attribute, or he has a few of them, but I'm just saying like, 
he's so tough. Like, and people have seen it time and time again, where he, he's tough as nails. The, the guy will not stop. You saw it in the Holloway fight. You saw it in the Giga fight. Regardless, he's going to keep coming forward and, 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 you know, putting pressure and he has those elbows and good boxing and stuff like that. So th th this is exactly the fight I want. And, you know, I, I'm not overlooking him. I know this is going to be the, my toughest, toughest test to date. And, and I will be prepared, you know, in, in four and a half weeks. And, um, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm just excited for the, for the opportunity. And just like, I keep saying, just to go out there and, and shock the world and, and just show them how good I am. I, I know my teammates, my coaches, my family and friends, they, they know how good I am because they see everything firsthand. Um, but the world doesn't. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's almost, you know, my time to shine and, uh, June 18th will be, will be the day. Yeah. Let me ask you kind of a weird two part question, Josh, because we've talked many times about the kind of power you possess at Featherweight. And you said you're not typically the guy to pat yourself on the back and, you know, turn into Conor McGregor saying things about yourself. But you said you believe you do have the most power in terms of your punching power in the Featherweight division. We've seen the stopping power you have, the one punch stopping power you have in your hands. There's been one thing about Calvin Cater. We've seen his incredible durability, his toughness. I mean, you know, I can't remember the total number of strikes he absorbed in that Max Holloway fight, but it was a ridiculous number of strikes, and he just continued coming. And again, there's a detriment to your health to having that as well, but at the same time, he's an incredibly durable guy. So the two-part question is this. One, with your power, with your the kind of strength you put behind your punches, how much confidence do you have that you can knock him out? But also part two of that is – you know, how ready are you to do that for five rounds? Because, you know, you do put a, you do generate a lot of power in your punches, but he may not go away. So is it a weird balancing act in your head when you face a guy like Calvin Cater? Like, yes, I know I can knock him out, but if I have to do it for five rounds, so be it. Yeah, no, not, not at all. You know, I, I, I power than a lot of the featherweights if i land a clean shot on anyone, I don't care what weight class they are, they will go to sleep. Um, but I, I can do that for, for five rounds too. And, and people have seen it time and time again, where I possess that power throughout every single round. And I feel like I start to get my second wind in the second and third round. And, you know, I haven't got to go five rounds in the UFC um, yet, but I've done it on the regional scene. And uh, yeah, my, my, my endurance, my conditioning will be up to par. And I feel like I can uh, match anyone's pace and uh, exceed that. So whether it's uh you know, at the end of the day, whether, you know, I ideally would be great, get a, a first round KO, like who, who doesn't like that? Then you don't have to, you know, <laughs> you don't have to feel so sore. Like we got in a car accident the next week or so, but uh, I'll be ready for a five round fight. And, and it's still 25 minutes is a long time to fight someone. I will hit him with some hard shots. He, you know, he, he has really good striking. Um, but I've seen, I, I've watched all of his fights. Um, he, he, he gets hit. And I, I feel like if I land some of those shots that he has been hit with, um, I, I think it changes the outcome. We know the reality of this sport, Josh. It's always, what have you done for me lately? Right or wrong, that's how the sport goes. What have you done for me lately? What's your last fight, your last performance? We mentioned, of course, your fight is going to be two weeks ahead of the title fight between Volkanovski and Holloway. So I imagine you want to leave a lasting impression in people's minds saying when Holloway and Volkanovski are over, the next question they're going to be asked is, are you ready for Josh Emmett or is Josh Emmett the guy? That kind of question. Do you put any pressure on yourself going into an opportunity like this to go out there and kind of make that statement win? I mean, do you, like, I guess what I'm getting at is like, do you just imagine that Volkanovski Holloway isn't even happening and you just got to focus on your fight? Or do you go in with the knowledge of saying, look, 
I need to put on a performance. I need to go out there and have a show to where when it's over, there's going to be no question. No one's going to say, well, what about Arnold Allen? Or what about this guy or that guy? They're going to say, I am the guy. Yeah, no, I, I always put pressure on myself. You know, that's one of the, I, I feel like I, I do really well with a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I, I can handle a lot. So uh, yeah, my, my ultimate goal is I, I don't want to wait two weeks after they fight and then say, is Josh Emmett the guy? I need to go out on June 18th. I need to have a, a phenomenal performance, the, the best performance to date. And after I get my hand raised, I want to hear Dana White saying, I will get the next shot. I will get the winner of uh, the fight on July 2nd. That That's what I'm looking uh, to hear. And that's what I'm, I'm striving to uh, work towards. And, and you know, I, I just have to get my hand raised. And um, yeah. I'll ask you this question again after June 18th, but everything goes well on June 18th. Can I imagine you're going to book the first flight to Vegas to be cage side for uh Volkanovski Holloway? You got to be there, right? Like you got to be right there watching the fight as it happens. Yeah, no, that, that that's the plan. You know, it's an hour trip away. Uh, I, I think I'm going to be out there for international fight week already, possibly doing some uh, appearances and, and, and signing. So yeah, I, I definitely want to sit cage side. I want to see that fight live and, um, yeah, I, I just have to get through a dangerous Calvin Cater first. There's always excitement and anticipation when you get to be in a main event. I mean, that's just part of what the UFC is, is being in a main event. Um, is there excitement of doing this in a crowd? Because where we're at in this day and age, you know, of course, you could be main eventing in the UFC Apex, which I'm sure you would gladly do. I'm sure you would be more than happy to do it. But are you happy to get this main event in front of fans in Austin? It's going to be a crowd. I've been to Austin. I was at the... Frankie Edgar, I think what fight was it? Frankie Edgar and uh uh God, who was it he fought out there? Uh it was a rematch. Oh, uh Cub Swanson. That was I think that was the head, headliner out there. I was there, great crowd. Uh I love Austin. So is there excitement about doing this in front of people? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it's uh you know, I I would have been up for doing it at the Apex or really anywhere, but you know, I I feel like once they booked this fight, they were looking to schedule it obviously where there, there were fans, you know, uh, and, and I'm happy that there are fans because I feed off the energy. I feed off the crowd and, and luckily I can have so many people come out, you know, like I would have a ton of people that they came out when I fought at the apex, but it's like, they're not, they weren't there. I, I know they're doing some, uh, some people can get into the apex now. Uh, but I just had people out there supporting me. And then I, I got to see them and, uh, you know, visit them and, and stuff like that. We got to celebrate afterwards, but this is going to be great. Cause I've, I've so many friends and family uh, traveling from all over the country that they already bought multiple tickets and, <laughs> and they're pumped for the, the fight. And uh, you know, you know, I love good food and entertainment and all this stuff. So, you know, after the fight, we're going to stay out in Austin for a few days and uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be trying to find the best barbecue place. And uh yeah, just, just have some fun and enjoy it with friends and family. I'll have to send you a message after we're done because the last time I was in Austin, I sought out the best barbecue. I think that's like a requirement when you go to Austin. And somebody told me the best barbecue was at like a, a gas station. It was attached to a gas station. And I can't remember the name of it now, but I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. But it was the best barbecue I've ever had in my life. And it's literally just a little like, it looks like almost like a picnic stand and they make barbecue and it's attached to like a shell station or something in Austin, but it's amazing. And every, it's like world famous, but it's freaking yeah, good. Yeah, so 
definitely send that to me if you can. Uh, it's kind of like when you go to Hawaii, you know, and you, I love like the spam masubis and you're going to the gas stations to get them. But my wife thinks it's disgusting. I'm like, it's the best though. Um, also my little brother used to live in Austin. So I went out there and visited him, his, uh, his girlfriend, is from Austin. So all their, their family and friends. So she, she definitely has, uh, some, some good spots picked out for us. Um, after the fight, of course. I love it. I love it. Let me ask, we mentioned, of course, the title fight that's taken place two weeks after yours, Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway three. Um, they've had two pretty memorable fights. The first one was, I thought a pretty dominant performance for Volkanovsky. I think he surprised a lot of people with the beat, the way he beat Max. The second fight, of course, was razor close. Now in the moment, I'm not going to lie. I did score for Max Holloway, but it was a very close fight. I don't think anyone could call it a robbery necessarily. Of course, since then, Max has got the wins over Yair and, of course, over uh, Calvin Cater. And we just saw what Alex did in his fight with Korean Zombie. Of course, he also has the win over uh, Brian Ortega. Uh, can I get your opinion on that trilogy? What you expect? What you're looking for? Do you lean one way or the other in terms of who you're picking? Because uh, it is an intriguing fight, and I think it's one we've all – it's it's a rarity where we actually want to see a third fight between two guys when one guy already has two wins. Yeah, no, because just like you said, you know, I thought Volkanovski won that first one. I, I thought it was four to, he won four out of five rounds, possibly even all five. And then the next one was so close, but it's like, I, I could have seen it going either way. You know, I was like, basically flip a coin, you know, um, it, but if Max won that, I, I would have been okay with it. it was, he, he did really well. If Volkanovski won, which he did, uh, they gave it to him. It was, it was just so close. So I think this is a different, not matchup, but given their history, um, who, who knows? It's just like Volkanovski continues to get better and better each outing. Same with Max. You know, he, he came out, he fought Cater, and then he, he fought Yair, and, and he continues to get better and better and, and developed, even though he's, they're both so good, but they still get better. So I'm excited for the matchup. Um, it, it's just hard it, to, to kind of pick a side, you know, just because how good both guys really are, but it's hard to go against the champion and also hard to go against the champion um, that is undefeated in the UFC. And what is Volkanovski on like a 21 or 22 fight win streak or something yeah, like something that? Ridiculous. Yeah. Something ridiculous. Yeah. It's wild. And I think styles make fights. And I, I think, you know, Max is, he's kind of figuring out Volkanovski's style. And so he's, he's like closing the gap a little bit, but I don't know. I just think uh, styles make fights. And, and that's why, you know, I want to fight Volkanovski so bad. He's a, he's a phenomenal uh, champion. He's a great guy. I met him out in Rio. Um, but I think him and I match up the best because we're so similar in in styles and build and backgrounds and everything like that so um yeah i'm excited for their their fight and uh i just hope it's a you know it's a it's a great fight and they both come out of there healthy yeah i know i'm playing a lot of what ifs and i hate playing the what if game but it's a reality of this sport josh you know as well as i do this happens is there any small party i'm not gonna say rooting maybe that's the wrong word but is there any small party that kind of hopes Volkanovski wins and let me tell you why I say that not only because of course he is the incumbent champion he is the reigning champion and as you mentioned the ridiculous win streak all those kind of things but the reality is if Max were to win and pulls off a split decision or whatever and goes out there and win you and I both know there's a chance they do it a fourth time you know what I mean like that's just how it works they would say oh we're gonna run it back one more time 
Is there any small party that kind of like, I hope Volkanovski wins just because that settles the max debate once and for all, even if it's a close decision, I have a hard time believing they're going to say, well, let's run it back a fourth time. Uh, because again, that's how the sport works. If max somehow wins, I could see them doing that. Yeah. And now that you put it that way, it's, uh, I agree. You know, it's like, uh, I, 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 it's hard for me to pick fights. Like I can, if you're gambling and stuff like that, but, I, but I can argue how both guys win the fight. You know, I, I can, you know, if, if so-and-so does this, this is how they're going to win and vice versa. Um, but since, since you say that, of, of course, then I would, uh, I know they would do a, a immediate rematch and then that could hinder my shot, uh, with a big win over cater. So yeah, maybe, maybe, Maybe you're right, and I'm leaning towards uh, Volkanovski again. And then, but at the end of the day, I just have to beat Cater first, and then we'll see what happens in their fight. And uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. Yeah, one other scenario I want to throw out at you, Josh. And again, I again I hate playing the what ifs, but again, this affects your future as much as it does anybody. I'm sure you've seen the buzz going around about Volkanovski saying he might want to test himself at lightweight. And even Dana White said after the last UFC pay per view, he said, "Listen, if he wants to go up and it works out timing wise." They would give him an immediate title shot, which I know is the, you know, is what every champion would want. I'm sure, you know, Alex wouldn't really want to go to lightweight unless he was going to get a shot at Oliveira or Makachev or Darius, whoever happens to be champion once that's all settled later this year. Um, But I also know that like guys in the division, like when you clear out a division, there's never really, you're never truly clearing out a division. There's always going to be somebody else you could fight. But in, in your mind, like, are you kind of like, because I know some guys, when they hear that news, they're like, come on, like, you know, like we all, I understand the attraction of being a two division champion. We all get it. Connor kind of started with the whole champ champ thing. We all get it. We all understand it. And I understand the money and all the things that come along with it. But in your head, you got to be like, okay, if you beat Max Holloway, you still got one more guy. You still got to go through one more guy in this division before you start talking about lightweight. Because again, that throws a monkey wrench into the plans that you cannot deal with. Cause then at that point you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's like at the end of the day though, I, you know, I, I can't knock someone's success. And, and if he does go up or decides to go to lightweight, I think he, he deserves a immediate title shot. You know what I mean? Everyone else that was a champion and they go down in weight or they go up in weight, they get it. So, so why wouldn't he, he he's one of the pound for pound best fighters in the world. So if he decides to hey, so be it, you know, that's, that's what he, he deserves. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, if, if I, I get through Calvin Cater and Dana White says, I am the next in line, then there definitely is one more person that he has to fight in order to clean out the division. But, you know, I, I think him and I match up so well that, you know, I, 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 I truly believe I'm the best other way on this planet and I will hold gold. I know you said this before. And again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm taking the focus off Calvin Cater. Cause I promise you I'm not. But I know you told me this before you have, and you said this to me in multiple interviews, how much you look forward to the day you get to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Cause I know you love that matchup. You've always believed that your style would be the best possible matchup for a Volkanovsky. Uh, that's gotta be exciting too, knowing that you're that close because I know that's a fight you've wanted. Even I think we talked about it maybe two or three fights ago. We mentioned it and you said, man, I can't wait. I'm, I, I feel like I'm the guy, I'm the guy that's going to give him the challenge. And I know that's, I can't, cause again, he really hasn't had that push outside of the, uh, the second fight with, uh, with, with Max. Yeah. And it's like a lot of the guys is like, when you talk about styles and stuff, a lot of the guys are, you know, similar builds. He, he's fighting these guys that are five ten to five eleven. They're, they're, they're great strikers or good at jujitsu, but it's, it's just their frame. It's, it's different. Like him and I match up so, so well together that the only person that he fought that's similar to me is, uh, one of my 
you know, teammates and friends, Chad Mendez. Um, and also it's like, I, I come from a wrestling background. So does Volkanovsky. He was a big guy. I feel like my frame's pretty big. I, I feel like I have, you know, a little more power than him. Um, you know, I, I just feel like it's, it's a, it's a fight that, the fans would be excited about it's a fight that i'm excited about but again like i i can't i can't even look look there yet because i i'm facing calvin cater and he's a man he's a dog it's going to be a, a tough one so I, I i really am just so focused on uh the task at hand and, and calvin cater is there and then you know once i get my hand raised then then ask me that question and and i'll be ready to rock whenever they they present it to me I love that perspective because, you know, and listen, I get it. And I like him very much. Giga Chikadze is a great guy. I've interviewed him many times. Incredible fighter. When he got kind of passed over for that title shot on short notice, it went into Korean zombie. You know, he was a little, and I get it. He was upset. He thought he should have been the guy. He was on a bigger, you know, bigger win streak. He had you know, a big knockout of Ransom Barbosa. And he's like, you know, I felt like I should have been the guy. And I almost felt like in the aftermath of the Calvin Cater fight, it almost seemed like it served as a distraction to him. You know, he was so, and I get it. I understand why he'd be upset, why he'd want that fight anybody would but it seemed like he was kind of focused on that and then of course calvin comes out and you know puts on a just a master class just goes out there put on a great performance i imagine you can use that as a cautionary tale right like of course i've got to ask you about volkanovsky i've got to ask you about holloway that's part of the job and you're going to answer the questions because that's just the anticipation of this fight but everything goes back to calvin cater right like that's got to be your focus because we've seen this a thousand times when guys are looking one step ahead and forgetting what's right in front of them yeah, and I'm definitely not looking over him. I, I I was in this position three years ago. People forget I was ranked third in the world, um, you know, and I was so cl close. I was on the cusp of, of getting that title shot too. So trust me, I, I am uh, just – and that maybe I was looking ahead. You know, I was overlooking people and stuff like that, and, and now I'm just solely focused on whoever I'm fighting because at the end of the day, it means absolutely nothing if I don't get my hand raised. I can – sit here and talk and speculate and do all these type of things, but it does nothing if I don't win. And, and this, this sport is, you know, like you said, people look, look over you. It's like you're hot, you're hot one minute. And then literally the next, you could have the best fight of the year. And then the next week um, they forget about you because someone else fought. And now there's so much hype behind them. So my goal is to go in there and, and have a spectacular performance on June 18th, get my hand raised. And then I'll sit back and, 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 think about what's what's uh you know what the future holds for me but i have to be calvin cater and and that's what i'm i'm gonna do so what you're telling me josh is you went on june 18th i text you on june 19th we talk on june 20th you'll be much more fired up to answer the alexander volkanovsky questions and max holloway questions at that point that's what you're telling me right so june we can go ahead and plan ahead for june 20th is that what you're telling me sounds good <laughs> i love but it yeah, i love I, it i have to stay focused i i yeah, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a fight. It's going to be a tough fight. But yeah, it's uh, oh, I, I'm so prepared for it. Yeah, I'm super excited. I love this matchup. Like I said, when we talked before, there was some uncertainty. You know, we didn't know what was going on in the division. Cleared up a couple weeks later. I was your good luck charm. We got it all cleared up. You did the podcast and we got you a fight. Uh, I'm looking Pretty forward good. to this. This is a great matchup. And uh, I love, again, I always, I am a big, big fan of when the UFC schedules these things, when they get a big contender fight and then a title fight, either right before or right after. And it feels like this is tailor-made for you to go out and have that performance. And then two weeks later, there's Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway fighting. And we kind of figure out the lay of the land, the division. It's perfect. Again, I, I know you know it, but I'm just saying it's kind of a perfect scenario. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I couldn't write it better myself.
Well, uh, Josh, it is always a pleasure to catch up. You know, I appreciate the time. I know you're super busy with four weeks to go till the fight. Uh, thank you as always for the time. I really appreciate it. Have a good training camp the rest of the way. Safe travels out to Austin. I will send you the restaurant that you need to check out afterwards. Not while you're weight cutting. Do not do this while you're weight cutting. I promise you, they got a, they got a corn souffle that you got to try, but you do not want that in weight cutting mode. I'm just telling you ahead of time. Sounds good. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it Damon, for always having me on. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you. All right, Josh, we'll talk soon. Okay. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Later. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down, and new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Want to say a big thank you to Josh Emmett for joining the show. Of course, his big fight comes up in a matter of days against Calvin Cater in the main event of UFC Austin. As the UFC goes back on the road again crowd in austin should be fun all right with that being said let's talk to our next guest she is a pioneer of mixed martial arts she was in the ufc for many years and now she's called it a career at least where mixed martial arts is concerned she hasn't talked about this yet since the fight so very happy to have her first interview talking about this so right now let's talk to felice herrig i am always happy to speak to my next guest she is uh freshly retired from the sport and we go back many many years so we're going to talk about her career and uh, what led to the retirement everything else uh always happy to speak to felice herrick felice how are you hi i am fantastic <laughs> thank you I for i also uh, want to reiterate i'm retired from mma retired from MMA. let's be clear about that retired from mma not combat sports you're very clear about that I'm very clear about that. 
Um, and this was a decision, um, you know, even pre-fight, like, okay, so, uh, so MMA is so hard on the body, so hard on the body. And it's also, um, so much to think about, you know, with every single element with, you know, oh, I got to work on my boxing and I got to work on my kickboxing. I got to work my jujitsu. I got to work my wrestling. I got to work my conditioning. They're five minute rounds. I got to do my strength training. Um, I just kind of want to simplify things. And not only that, but, and I know it sounds like, oh, you're, you're, I don't want to say a traitor, but I started fighting as a boxer and a kickboxer. And I only got into MMA because that's, you know, at that time, you know, was season fighter, like a uh, season fighter, season one, ultimate fighter, you know, uh, Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin. Like I was on the fight girls reality show in 2007. And that was around the same time that the ultimate fighter season one came out, you know, and Gina Carano was my mentor on that. And so I was with her and Brandon Vera and, you know, Randy Couture. And I just realized that everything in the sport was going towards MMA. So I knew that if I wanted to make a career in it, then I had to go to, you know, to MMA. Um, so I can't really say that MMA was ever my first love, you know. Sure. Boxing. <laughs> <laughs> and Absolutely. now there's money to be made in boxing, you know. And so it's kind of like, why not? Why not hone in on what I'm actually really good at and simplify things? And um, I had made that decision, you know, prior to this fight as well. Yeah. It, it was just that um, I owed it to myself to come back from two ACL surgeries and compete again in MMA. You told me, uh, and I, w I went, I was doing research before we talked because I was trying to remember the timeline of the surgeries. Because I remember we talked when you were having the other procedure before this fight, and you had said that it was when you, before going into the Verna Jandaroba fight, you had, you had dealt with the knee issue, never completely got fixed. It was, it was still giving you problems. You couldn't really do jujitsu, still giving you issues. Then you end up having the other surgery, you end up having the microfracture surgery. Uh, you're telling me about like the cadaver ligament i'm not going to rehash everything but your knee was your knee went through a lot and you couldn't train the way you needed to train for mma because when you're going through mma training you are as you mentioned you're putting your body through a lot more and i've talked to a lot of fighters mostly through a few people have ended up doing uh, bkfc like bare knuckle and they talked about like how much better they feel because they're not putting their body through hell they're basically just focusing on boxing or in their case you know bare knuckle fighting but they're not doing the wrestling they're not putting their body through the torture of an mma camp um was that a big part of it right there because i mean again you talked about before even before the verna jandaroba fight you couldn't really train the right way just because of how banged up your knee was no i couldn't at all so um I don't know. I haven't talked to you since the second knee surgery. So basically my, my surgeon, the good surgeon who did the second knee surgery basically said that my first surgeon didn't do a complete surgery. So he didn't fix my post-lateral corner, which is a long, tiny tendon on the side, like all along the side of the knee, the leg, whatever that, um, 
it's like it's stretched like a rubber band. And when you have a traumatic injury or traumatic fall, as I did, it gets stretched out so bad. And the only way to stretch it back is to go ahead in surgery and tighten it up. So my surgeon, my first surgeon didn't do that. And so then it was causing all this instability, which is why my, my meniscus ended up pulling out of the bone. Um, but that's another reason why it didn't show up on, you know, I had like before the Verna fight, I had a week before I was like, dude, something is still wrong with my knee. Like, can we, can we do an MRI? And, um, of course, you know, the UFC wouldn't cover it. They're like, Ooh, well, you know, no. So I was like, okay, whatever. Well, I, I need to know that I need to know going into the fight that, that there's, there's not something wrong with my knee where it's going to get worse. And then coming back, like, it was like, oh, it's, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But a lot of it is because the meniscus, like being pulled out of the bone, um, doesn't show up on an MRI because there's no tear. Um, and that, then that happened because the first surgeon didn't do, you know, um, a complete surgery. Um, and so that whole fight, I couldn't, like, it was funny. Like, she's like, what jujitsu black belt world champion, whatever. I didn't, I couldn't do jujitsu one time. I mean, I tried and I was like, nope, not having it. So couldn't do jujitsu. And then this camp, I actually felt really good. I felt really amazing, which is, which is shocking because strength wise, I felt amazing wrestling. I felt amazing. Like everything I felt amazing. And I don't know if it just comes down to now, like the weight cut and getting no sleep before the fight and like weigh-ins were earlier. So that's less time to sleep. And then um, the fight, I had to leave at 10 AM for the fight, you know? So it's like, again, like I didn't get sleep for like three days leading up to the fight. And, you know, cause again, you're cutting weight and you're doing all this, this meat, you know, all this stuff for the UFC with the media. And then you go into the fight and then it's like, you know, the five minute rounds and again, I'm not making excuses. It's just, but there are things that I don't know if it accumulates like over time. You know, to where this is like, what, like, probably like my 60th fight, like, combined with, you know, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, like all that. And I don't know if it just like, takes a toll on your body. Um, like, I felt like jello in the fight. And it was sad, because I felt amazing going into the fight. Like, I thought it was going to be my like, best performance to date. You know, I, I really felt like amazing. Um, but I also at like prior to the fight, I was like, I need, you know, if it's time to move on to the next chapter of my life, I need a sign. And I almost feel like, you know, maybe that was the sign was that like this maybe just isn't for you anymore. Is there, you know, considering the way the lead up of the fight happened, you talk about the sleeplessness. It's funny. We actually did a story several years ago where you were dealing with that. We talked about like the issues you were having with, with, with sleep problems, uh, going into fights and things like that. But you, um, dealing with all that, even before the fight, if you had gone in and I know this is an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask anyways, like, is there a chance that even with a win on Saturday, you would have walked away? Like, is there just considering all that you went through getting up to that? Is there a chance even with a win, you might've been like, you know what? Like, I'm just ready to walk away and do something different. 
retiring no matter what. That's why I hate when like, you know, like people like doing headlines like, oh, Carolina forces police into retirement. No, Carolina didn't force me into retirement. Like I was retiring either way. Um, unless I had like some amazing performance to where my body felt like so great, like this newfound person, you know, what I, I feel like it would have had to have been like a complete transformation for me. Like I would have had to have felt like a completely different person in order to continue on with MMA. I thought that maybe um, it would have been a lot better to retire on that note, you know, on a high, high, on a win-win, like an amazing comeback story, you know, coming back from two major knee surgeries and then coming back and winning and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that would have been ideal, but at the end of the day, I'm still very proud of myself. I, did come back from two career career ending knee surgeries. You know, my knee surgeries weren't minor. Like my first knee surgery was ACL meniscus. They did a micro fracture. So basically they broke my shin bone. You know, they drilled a hole in my shin to create blood flow. They took, they took tissue from my hamstring to make, you know, a cadaver which, or not a cadaver, to make a, uh, a graph, which then they ended up being like, oh, this is too small. So then they ended up using a cadaver anyways. So the first knee surgery was very, very major. And then the second knee surgery was the post-lateral corner and it was the meniscus. And then it was, you know, cleaning up a bunch of scar tissue and whatnot. So there were two very, very major knee surgeries. And I feel that the fact that I was able to come back from them and feel so good and feel like a new person, I think in itself is something that I get it. It's not like the glitz and glamour. It's not like something that the average person would understand, but to feel what I felt and to go through what I went through and to talk to other people who've had like major knee surgeries like it it actually is a very big deal to come back from that and so I'm I'm very proud of myself just for doing that and for for having the mental um and physical like to mentally and physically be able to like grind and push to actually get to that point because it took a long long time well, it's kind of crazy because uh, I know this is a different situation, but I always think about, if you remember TJ Grant, fought in the UFC, was supposed to fight for the lightweight title, had a concussion in training in a jiu-jitsu session, never fought again. I Actually, TJ popped up. We were Facebook friends. He popped up on my Facebook like a month ago. I was like, oh, my gosh, like TJ, kind of crazy what that way went through. Now, again, different situation, concussion, you know, obviously head injuries, a different situation. But if you had, if you had gone through those knee surgeries and dealt with what you dealt with and said, you know what, I can't do MMA anymore. I just, it's just not good for my body to do MMA anymore. I can't do it. And walked away. I think, you know, we'd all be like, you know what? It sucks, but we understand like that's, that's your body telling you, you can't fight anymore. It happens. It's, it, it sucks, but it happens. In a weird way, and I'm not lessening the, the 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 emotion of the fight and wanting to go out there and beat Caroline. I'm not trying to lessen that with what I'm saying, but just making it to the cage, walking into that cage on Saturday night, was that a win in and of itself? For me, it was. You know, because it was a very, like the probability of, 
of making it there and not and not let's like not forget my age I think people forget like I'm 37 years old and that might not be old in itself but the recovery time and for the body and for the body to perform at the high level that us UFC fighters you know perform at actually is you know like again like the recovery time it it does take longer and it and it is a lot harder and I do have to do you know and and again ligaments and tendons like people forget that it's not a broken bone broken bones heal on their own ligaments and tendons you actually have to work on and you you have to spend a great deal of time working on them and it's not just the the ligaments and the tendons it's the muscles surrounding it and it's you know the you know all the scar tissue and you know then the one side is overcompensating and just even evening things out and just like stretching and rehab like there's so much that goes into it that again like unless you've been in the situation you don't understand you just think an injury is an injury and time heals all wounds and that's the end of the story and it actually is not the end of the story and it might be the end of the story if you're not performing at the highest level with you know all so many different factors thrown into you know the mix you know it's it's like at least if I went back and I was just like oh I'm just gonna do boxing I know that the knee isn't going to take as much. There's not going to be as much grinding on the knee. I'm not going to be putting my knee in all kinds of weird, crazy positions. Um, you know, and I had to do that in training. Like I had to, and it was funny because it's like every time I, um, put myself in a new compromising position, like it would hurt, like my knee would hurt and I would feel like, Oh, that didn't feel right. But then the next time it would feel a little bit better. So I had to put myself into situations that were very uncomfortable and that put myself in a position to feel like, oh my God, like, is this too much? And, you know, is it not enough? Like finding that balance um, was, it was really difficult, you know? And so the small little battles, like I celebrate all those tiny little battles because yeah, just making it back into the cage was kind of amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned earlier, uh, we go back such a long ways and you mentioned like your career started, you know, you were doing kickboxing, Muay Thai boxing, things like that. And you got drawn into it. And you mentioned a name, uh, you know, your coach on, on, on the reality show, Gina Carano. I remember the first time I ever talked to Gina Carano back in like 2005 or 2006, maybe. Uh, she was fighting in K1. She was a kickboxer and she was a good kickboxer, you know, and, and a really solid one. But then, you know, MMA takes off, you know, she gets a chance to fight in MMA and she becomes one of the pioneers of the, of the women's divisions and she becomes a huge name and all those kind of things. But it was never her first passion. She was a kickboxer first and became an MMA fighter in a weird way. Like, because that I, I'm not, I'm not saying you didn't love MMA. I don't want to, I want to make it sound like that, but because it wasn't your first passion, it wasn't what you were drawn to. You were drawn to other things and you kind of went into MMA. Is there any relief here? Like that you, that you're done with MMA and you get to do other things now? Like, I know it's a weird question because you spent so much of your career in mixed martial arts, but it wasn't the thing you initially got involved with. You weren't in combat sports. Cause man, I really want to be in MMA you went into MMA, you had a lot of success in MMA, but is there any relief now that it's kind of behind you and you can do other things? There actually is. There actually is a relief because I finally feel like I can be happy again. 
I feel like, wow, I can do what I believe I was set out here to do. I can do what I have passion. Like, I feel like if you're not happy and you're not passionate about what you do, like there's always like this hole in your heart. And I feel like for so long, I've been doing something that I wasn't really passionate about. Um, and now I'm like, wow, I can actually go like, even when it comes to training, like I love boxing, you know, even not even just bo like boxing, kickboxing, I love striking, but boxing has always been like my first love. And I think too, a lot of it has to do with, you know, my boxing coach, Shannon States, like, I love my boxing coach. He has put so much time into me. He was actually there. Like since I first started fighting, he was my coach. And then over the years, like working with different MMA gyms, they always made me leave him, you know, and make me work with their boxing coach. And I feel like that was a hole in my heart too, because I didn't enjoy training because I love training with my boxing coach, Shannon. Like he is the reason why I love fighting. You know, he always pushed me. He always believed in me. He always like, he was very hard on me, but also very kind and gentle with me. You know, if I did a good job, he would tell me I did a good job. If I was doing good at something, you know, he'd be like, you, you're fucking awesome. You know, and I need that. Like, I'm a girl. Like, I know, like, some people, it's like, oh, tough love. But I don't, I don't deal well with tough love. Like, I want, I want encouragement. And I want a coach who, who I feel like has my back. And my boxing coach is the one person that I've always felt like had, had my back. And so it was sad to be an MMA and feel like I lost, you know, like so many different coaches were telling me, oh, you can't work with him. You can't work with him. And, you know, again, it's because they like to say like, oh, because he's not good. But at the same time, it's because, you know, a lot of MMA gyms don't want you. They want you within their whole little circle and only working with their coaches, you know. And so that's a relief in itself to feel like I can just kind of go back to doing what I love and not feeling like I have all this pressure and all these people pulling me in all these directions, telling me what I can or can't do and shame on me for allowing that. But at the same time, I did start this sport at a very significant time to where women weren't given um, respect and women weren't um, given like the time of day. So you know, because there weren't opportunities for women. So you kind of just were like, you, you kind of went with along with like what other people said, because you were like, you knew you were going to deal with that at, at any gym you went to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times when I've talked to fighters, you know, within a reasonable period of time after, after announcing a retirement in this case, again, retirement from mixed martial arts, I would say nine times out of 10, when I talk to him in the back of my head, I'm thinking, yeah, you're not really retired. You're not, you're, you're you know, six months a year from now, I'm going to be talking to you about your comeback. Like I just, I get that feeling because they're walking away for different reasons. Now I'm not going to sit here and say we're best friends, Felice, but I've interviewed you enough times. I've talked to you enough times that I felt like when you retired on Saturday, you were, you were, you were done with that. Like, that's just that phase of your life is done. You're moving on to something else. I don't get that sense with you where I'm talking to you right now, where a year from now, I'm going to get a call saying I'm making my comeback in MMA because you do have <laughs> other things going on. You can do kickbox. You can do box. Like, would you say in your mind, like it's settled, like MMA is done. Now your, your fighting career is not done. MMA part of it's done though. Yes. MMA is definitely done. And, and here's the thing too, I, I want to like make it very clear because I feel like people look at 
oh, if you're done with MMA, you're like a has-been. If you go to bare knuckles, you're a has-been. But there, I don't, I like, I don't believe that because here's the thing, like now there are more, like the opportunities go beyond the UFC. UFC used to be the, the top of the top, the cream of the crop. And by no means am I talking shit about the UFC because I love UFC and I love being a part of the UFC. And I love that, you know, that journey of my life. But before it was like, the UFC was the end all be all. If you left the UFC, it was only downhill from there. And I don't believe that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, especially for somebody like me who was in the UFC and, and has a striking background, there are a lot of opportunities and there, and it's, again, it's, it's kind of a no brainer because it's a lot less hard on your body. The money is there, you know, the opportunities are there. So it's almost, it's, to me, I feel like it's a smart business decision. Yeah. I had a conversation not that long ago with Luis Palomino. I don't know if you know Luis. He, you know, fought, you know, at the highest level of mixed martial arts, fought in World Series of Fighting, had a couple of epic wars with Justin Gaethje. And he's, I think he's 42 now or 43. He's a BKFC champion, uh, one of the faces of the promotion. And he just like he 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 looks and sounds like he's loving life right now and having the best time in his life. But he flat out told me, he's like, I couldn't do MMA anymore. I just couldn't do it. But in BKFC, he's having tremendous success, making good money. You know, he's having, I mean, he's undefeated. He's, you know, one of the faces of that promotion. Like, there's no shame in that. Like, that's awesome. Like, I root for a guy, Alan Belcher, another guy, couldn't, you know, didn't do MMA anymore because his body couldn't take it. His body was just taking a lot of damage. Now he's doing BKFC. Yeah. He's having a blast. And he wants to do boxing. He told me, man, I'm looking forward to going into boxing as well. Like, just because you're not in the UFC or not doing MMA doesn't mean you can't have success, especially now. Look what Jake Paul's doing. Jake Paul is not, like, has never done really sports. He's now <laughs> one of, he's making, you know, he's one of the highest paid guys in the sport and he's, and he's doing boxing. Good for him. Like, I'm all for yeah. that. Like, why not? Yeah. No, I feel that too. And like I said, I feel like, now you know for a long time it was you know ufc was an all be all and it's not anymore and i feel like good for fighters to because a lot of fighters are in the same situation as me and a lot of fighters got into mma as strikers or you know what i mean like because that was you go where where the money is at where the success is at where the you know where the sport is at and for a long time like the sport was oh god Hold on. <laughs> You're okay. How do, how do I end? Hold on. I got to <laughs> And Carla's calling me. Sorry <laughs> about uh, timing. I don't know. End and accept or hold and accept. Uh, hold on. Let me just uh, let it end. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, this is not. I mean, come on. No. End. <laughs> <laughs> She's I just determined. don't know which button to press. I'm like, no, oh, it's all right. It's all right. There, there you are. are. We here? Yeah, okay. we're here. Yeah. Um. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now I lost my train of thought. Um, the, the UFC no longer being the end all be all and being able to do different things. And, you know, the reason you kind of go into MMA and, and versus yeah, what and you're doing no, now. Thing too, because especially for me, like, uh, getting off of fight girls in 2007, you know, doing like Muay Thai. And then I, you know, and then I did the world combat league with Chuck Norris and, you know, but it was, you could see that the future was going towards MMA. And so you knew that like, Hey, if I'm a fighter and I want to make a run at, at fighting and make a living at fighting, then I have to go towards MMA. And don't get me wrong. I got very good at MMA. You know, I got very good at grappling. That was that was another battle in itself was getting good at something that I had never done before and having to start it off at like the pro level, you know, cause I was already a professional kickboxer. So I had to start off like in MMA as a professional with zero grappling experience at all and zero MMA, you know? So I feel like I did well for myself and I really can't, um, I can't be mad. I'm not mad. You know, I'm actually just excited for the future because I feel like I get to end my career the way I want to end my career, you know, kind of like coming full circle. Like, hey, I started in combat sports doing boxing and kickboxing, and that's what I love to do. And I can finish that way as well, you know, doing what I love. Absolutely. To that point, you know, we're just a couple of days removed from the fight, so I'm not going to sit here and ask you, hey, Felice, map out what's going to be happening over the next six months, because in terms of fighting, you know, obviously there's lots of opportunities. You're also an author, you've authored books. So, I mean, you have other things going on. Do you have an idea? Like, and say, like you talk about, like, again, you're being very clear. I'm done with MMA. I'm not done with combat sports. Like, do you have an idea in your head right now saying, I would like to do a boxing match or I would like to do a kickboxing match or you mentioned BKFC, like that option is out there. They have a pretty thriving women's division over there. We've seen, you know, Beck Rawlings, a fighter who's coming back and, and, and she's, you know, she was a star over there. And uh, Rachel Ostovich is over there. Paige Van Zandt's over there, of course. Like, I don't know. You give me an idea. Like, is it right now? Like, what's the best opportunity? Like when they call you and say, hey, I got a boxing match. We're going to pay you a boatload of money. Come do this. Or, or do you have things in mind and say, I want to do this? Uh, You know, I, I do. And I do. I feel like bare knuckle is probably the way to go just as far as like being, you know, knowing that again, like I'm going to have a career, like I'm going to still make money, but I'm, I'm still so far, far removed. I don't know from the fight. Like I just, I just fought. And, um, but the thing what is with like MM, like with boxing, I feel like I could honestly, like, not that I would never take a fight seriously, but I feel like it's, it would be a lot easier for me to take it on short notice because like the rounds are like, are not as long and I'm in shape and, you know, I would, definitely be ready to go like sooner than later um but at the same time it's not something that I I wanted to get through this fight first to like make a decision on like what was next for me in my career and now I know okay you know what's next for me is definitely you know striking you know boxing kickboxing whatever like you know wherever the opportunities take me I'm not saying that you know bare knuckles is the only option either 
Um, I'm willing, you know, I'm open for whatever. Um, I would like to fight sooner than later, but I also, at the same time, like it's, so I live in Chicago. So we're, you know, we only have like so much nice weather. (laughs) I I would like to enjoy my summer a little bit, um, if that's okay. Uh, (laughs) But at the same time, I do feel like there's a lot less stress and pressure and like a boxing or kickboxing fight just again because there's so many you don't have to focus on so many different elements you know it's not like I gotta do my kickboxing I gotta do my boxing I gotta do my strength training I gotta do my wrestling I gotta do my jujitsu I gotta put it all together I gotta do my sparring like uh I feel like there's a lot less you know pressure um and a lot less I, I wouldn't say work you know because that's that downplays things a bit but it's a lot easier on the body. Yeah. So it definitely would be easier to uh, not have to focus so much on like, a, you know, like a, like with an MMA camp, you're like, okay, you're looking at a good, like, like this, this camp for me was, was three months. I started March 1st. I started my camp. You know what I mean? And it's because you have to focus on so many different elements. Um I don't even know if I answered your question. I kind of no, don't know no, what the no. is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally understand. Here, I'll, I'll write the headline for you because, you know, you, you like a good headline. Here's my headline. Felice Herrick will fight again, just not in MMA. That's the easiest way to say it, right? Like, we don't know what it's going to be. You will fight again, just not in MMA. Right. Yes. And, and again, I, I do feel like I hate knowing what the next headline is going to be. You know, like the response from people is going to be, <laughs> gonna cut it in MMA so she's got to go to all bare knuckle or you know blah 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 but it's it's not like I I fought in the U like I just want to make it very clear I I fought in the UFC for eight years (laughs) so I could 100% cut it in UFC you know in MMA it's just do I want to do that to my body anymore Um, 20 years in the sport does take a toll on you so MMA was nine, 19, 13 years in MMA, you know, 20 years fighting, but 13 years in MMA, it's still, it is, you know, a lot in the body. And I feel like I, I owe it to myself to enjoy my life a little bit. Yeah. Can I ask, uh, you know, uh, one big question that comes up a lot when we talk about retirement in combat sports. And again, let me be clear, retired from MMA, not retired from combat sports. But one of the big things that always comes up are the financials, you know, what happens? Cause you do see that. And I know you've seen the horror stories, Felice. You've been around the sport long enough to see the guys or girls who come back for the wrong reasons. They come back because they, they can't afford to live another lifestyle. They, for whatever is out there, whatever happens after Friday, they can't afford it. I'm not going to name names. You know, them as well as I do. It's, 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 it kind of breaks your heart. You know, they're not coming back because they're physically into it or they really want to be there. They're doing it because they need a paycheck. Now you, you have been one of the people, you know, you were, you know, getting, you were in the first video game, you were getting sponsors, you built social media before a lot of people built social media. You did a lot of things to put yourself in a position to be successful outside the cage. I also know leading up to this fight, you did uh, on your Instagram, you promoted a lot about your OnlyFans, which has been a big financial boost for a lot of fighters. Um, A good example I mentioned earlier, Beck Rawlings. I talked to her during the middle of the pandemic. Australia was shut down. She couldn't travel, couldn't get a fight. Was out. She'd been on action for two years, and she literally told me if it wasn't for her OnlyFans, 
she would not have been able to afford to live. Like it kept her going during a really bad time when everyone was kind of shut down. I know you've been doing that as well. I'm not going to ask you to close, disclose financials, but like, has that been a, a, a boost in terms of like, you know, getting you to that next step in terms of financial benefit of not having to worry about like, I have to take a fight because you have other things going on outside of fighting. Oh, absolutely. I made more in one year and only fans that I made like I made I make ridiculous money on OnlyFans and again it's because of how hard I've worked you know over the years to build a name and a brand and an image but it also is nice because you know it allowed me to be you know like to work on like the recovery that I needed to do you know getting massages like twice a week um I haven't I haven't talked about this extensively um okay so yes um first off yes only fans made it to where i'm not desperate to fight again um i actually make more money doing that than i have ever made in fighting which can give you a little bit and i make good money fighting but when you look at it as when you when you break it down to the fact that you only get paid when you fight it does make things stressful on you when you're not getting paid to to sit on the sidelines and when you're not like being helped out and like, you know, even with the recovery stuff, it's like, okay, so it's great. So for the first year after knee surgery, like I was covered with, you know, I, medical expenses were covered, but at the same time, like the physical therapists here, I'm just going to say it in Illinois suck. So having to constantly go out and seek, you know, trying to, you know, I ended up having to, you know, the first, the guy that I found that was good was a chiropractor. Like that's paying out of my pocket. Like the massage therapist is paying out of my pocket, you know, like, um, everything else, you know, is being paid out, you know, to, to make sure that my body feels good is like being paid out of my pocket. And I would never have been able to afford that. Like, how can you afford it when you're not getting paid? you're getting paid, you, you get paid to fight. And then that money has to carry you throughout for how long, you know? Um, but so another big thing that I, that really, really helped me out, um, which is, I don't want to say it's taboo. Like I didn't talk about it a lot because, um, so there's the thing with USADA, like IVs are illegal, but they changed the rules to where you can get, IVs in over a hundred, like you can only get them in like a hundred milliliters. But if you had like a doctor saying like you needed it for a specific reason, then you could get them, which I did have a doctor, you know, signing off that I needed to get them, but I just didn't draw attention to it because I didn't want to have to go through like paperwork with USADA or like them questioning me like, oh, do you really, you, you know what I mean? Like, but sure. I feel like for whatever reason, um, I, cause as an athlete, you lose so much in like sweat, you lose all your, you lose like so many B vitamins and so many C vitamins. And you don't know like the bioavailability of like what you're actually absorbing. Um, but when you get an IV, which again, just, just vitamins and nutrients, like it goes straight to your bloodstream. It like completely got rid of my anxiety. So, which means that my anxiety mostly came from being nutrient deficient. Um, so overall, just I'm a happier person now. 
I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire life, which I also think makes me think more clear, you know? Um, I don't really know where, how we got on the subject. <laughs> no, no, but, but so can I be clear with the divide? So like that is something that's not a hurdle you have to jump over anymore with the, with the vitamin. Like if you want to get a vitamin IV, you no longer have to jump through the, the hoops of USADA to just get something that's good for your body. Is that right? Accurate? And for my body, like for something that, you know, as a professional athlete, we put our bodies through so much. Why tell me that I can't, like, even like I was getting, I would train hard, like for two days straight and I would get the flu. That was actually how I started getting an IV is because I had the flu so bad that I needed to go and get an IV just to like replenish everything. And then I noticed how good it made me feel. And then like, I just kept getting them, you know, cause you know, my doctor said that too, like with like, um, a lot of anxiety comes from being like deficient in like B vitamins and C vitamins. And it like, it boosts like your DHEA and like everything like kind of is like a snowball effect. And I feel like, fighting has done so much to my body over the years to make me almost like miserable all the time. And then I realized like this, like I'm, I'm happy again. I have good energy again. I'm sleep. Like I haven't slept in like good in like 10 years. Like I've always sleep has always been an issue and now it's not an issue anymore. So even just, I feel like overall, like, I, I would much rather have like a, a good quality of life at this point. I feel like that's like overall, like the, the most, like that's money in the bank right there, you know, just like, yeah. being happy and just having a good quality of life and not being like sad all the time, not being tired all the time. Like I used to like train and then the rest of my day was shot because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get out of bed. I like, but I have to rest and recover. Like, and now I just feel good again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to what you said before about the financial part, I mean, again, I want to make it, make it clear and not that there's anything wrong with it, but like you're like your fight career, you, you, you know, we can have a much larger debate about fighter pay, which is a, a, a drum I've been banging for many, many years, but you know, it's not about you making, you know, low money or anything like that, but like having the only fans to supplement that, that also going forward probably allows you the freedom to make better choices because you're not being forced into like taking And again, that's not saying forced, but like if BKFC called you tomorrow and said, Hey, you know, do you want to fight in July? And if you don't want to fight in July, you don't have to, I guess what I'm getting at you, the, the, the financial freedom you have now allows you to kind of pick and choose what you want to do next in terms of timing, the fight, whatever it is, like you don't have to do what anything right now. Like that gives you the financial freedom to do that. Right. And it's very unfortunate to like, to do anything out of desperation. And I feel like that's what a lot of fighters would do for so long. And that's why you do see fighters coming back and, you know, like from an injury and it's probably like, I probably would have come back a lot sooner from my injury. If, if it wasn't for only fans, because I would have had to, you know, and I probably wouldn't have been ready. I at least was ready to come back for this fight. And now it's like, you know, with OnlyFans, I get I get paid weekly and I'm not like struggling to get paid. And I can take care of my body the way a professional athlete needs to take care of their body. I think that's the other thing too, is that, yeah, okay, that's great. We're professional athletes. Um, 
but you know, you only fight when you get paid. And then you also, you know, you got to make that money spread out, but you also like, don't get to really, unless you live in Vegas and you get to go to the PI every day, you're not really treated like a professional athlete because everything that I had to like, you know, like imagine going to the PI and getting all my free meals and all my free supplements and getting my body worked on every single day and, you know, getting to work with their strength and conditioning coaches. Like that's all extra stuff that I have to pay for here on my own because I don't live in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, 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 I follow a guy on TikTok who's an NFL player and he kind of goes behind the scenes of, of you know what they're going through right now in like mini camp getting ready for the season. And like so much of what he's doing right now is like, he's going into the team facility and they have massage people and they have rehab yeah. facility and they have, uh, you know, it's basically like a PI per team. Like every NFL team has their own like PI for the, and that's, I mean, I get it. Like, that's what you do. But I think a lot of people forget, like when you're an MMA fighter, if you don't live in Vegas, if you're in Chicago or where I'm at in Ohio or wherever else, you've got to do all that stuff on your own. That's stuff that you're dependent to do upon. So whether it's meal preparation, whether it's massages after training, whether it's just rehab, physical therapy, these are all things you're paying out of pocket. Uh, and again, I, you know, the PI is great. And if you live in Vegas, awesome, but not everyone lives in Vegas. No. And even if like you want to go like take advantage of it, it's like, okay, that's great. I can go there and I can fly out there and everything's free, but then I still have to pay for a hotel and you know what I mean? Like I still have to pay for a flight. So none of it is, you know, it's, it's, again, it is super great if you live in Vegas and yeah. I love the facility and I love all the people that work there and, you know, train out of there. And like, it's a great facility and it's, it's nice that, you know, the USC fighters have that opportunity. But again, it's like, you have that opportunity if you live in Vegas and that's the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you always have things to do. I mentioned earlier, you wrote a book. We talked about that when you were, when you were doing, you know, had a little bit of downtime. Of course, we talked about, you know, things you're doing with your, with your only fans, all things like that. Like, are you taking a break right now in terms of like, I mean, we're t two days removed from a fight. So I'm not saying like you have like this weekend book to go do something, but like, are you going to take a little bit of a break? Or you mentioned earlier, you said that, you know, you, you do feel good. You wouldn't mind booking some sooner. Like, has your do you have a mindset and like what you like? And you also said you want to enjoy your summer. So, like, are you just kind of taking things as they come right now? Is that kind of like the attitude going forward right now? Yeah, I'm very much like when the opportunity it like presents it, presents itself. It you know, I'm open to it. I very much believe um, that whatever's meant to be will be. And I'm not saying that I don't want to necessarily push things, but there, you know, I feel like if something comes along, I'll be ready for it. And if not, then, you know, I'm ready to just kind of relax a little bit too. Like, I don't feel like my career is over by any means. I don't feel like, oh my gosh, opportunities are going to dry up. Like, I feel like I've made great connections, like throughout the sport, throughout the industry. Like I have a lot of people like in the sport that I love, that love me. And I, and I feel like, you know, something big will happen. You know, Dana White called me like, couple of weeks ago about a big opportunity and I'm still hoping for that. You know, I don't want to jinx it. So I don't maybe want to talk about it, but like I have things to look forward to, you know? And it's like, sometimes you just need to allow yourself like, well, it's like, you know, in nature, like nature doesn't try to grow. It just grows, you know? And a lot of things, it's like a flower doesn't try to bloom. It just blooms. And it's like, so sometimes like patience and like stillness is where growth comes from, you know, and where opportunities come from. So 
just because I'm not out there like, ah, I need this, ah, I need this, <laughs> I need this. Like, doesn't mean that things aren't like blooming for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, you know, things will happen and like the right time and, you know, it's meant to be. And if I'm meant to take a week off, then I'll take a week off. And if I'm meant to take a month off, I'll take a month off. But I feel like just like with my career, the past 20 years, like opportunities always present themselves. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, when you put your body through what you put your body through beyond the knee and everything else, but like just the physical toll of weight cutting, getting your body down to weight. And I know we've had conversations about this. Be honest right now. Is it nice just to have like a piece of candy and not think about like having to cut weight next week? Like, be honest. I know you like candy, Felice. I know you do. <laughs> I actually had two cupcakes last night. I had two. Um, I had a charcuterie board this morning. I had two glasses of champagne. I had, um, you know, it's, it is nice. But at the same time, I have loved eating healthy. Like this whole camp, like. I didn't feel deprived at all. Like I really truly love like being healthy. And so when I'm like super healthy, like I don't necessarily miss anything, um, but it is nice to not, I think the discipline of like food prepping and having to grocery shop to make sure that like you have everything at your house to like be able to food prep or to have like the right meals. Like I have like nothing at my house and I don't know if that's a good thing or if it's a bad thing. But I woke up and uh, I had, uh, ew, it was terrible. I had like, cause I had gotten it for my boyfriend cause I got the two cupcakes for myself and I got two cupcakes for him. I got like a peanut butter filled one and it was terrible. Like that's not like my go-to dessert, but I woke up at like four in the morning and I had a peanut butter cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to be able to do that. I will... I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, last, that enjoyable. Yeah. I had a back yesterday and it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, last thing before I get you out of here, Felice, I, I didn't want to let you go before mentioning this. Of course, you said during the call, we were talking about like, Carla gave you a call. How fun was it to, uh, to see her get married? I saw the photos. Uh, it was so cool. Like I, I talked to her before the fight, of course. I, by the way, she's not, she, I don't know. She, she doesn't want to give me credit for this, but like we did an interview like right after the fight got announced. And I said, you win, you are wearing the title down the, 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 the aisle. Right. She's like, you know, I don't know, man. I was like, you got to wear the title down the aisle. Come on. And then she did. I'm like, come on, Carla, give me a little credit here. I gave you that idea. <laughs> like you had to wear the title down the aisle, but how cool is that to, to see her get married? I thought that looked like a pretty beautiful, uh, pretty awesome ceremony and, uh, talk about a, a way to celebrate Win the UFC title back and then get married like six days later. Yeah. And the wedding was awesome too, because it was a tiny wedding. Um, so it was like very like intimate like even with um like I knew everyone like I felt comfortable at the wedding like I had like it was the most fun I've ever had at the wedding and I don't know if you knew I I caught the bouquet that's right I did see that I did see that that's right (laughs) well you know what's funny about it is I catch the bouquet at every wedding pretty much (laughs) and this one I was like well like I kind of stopped trying like I used to be like the one who was just like elbow people and jump up and be all like athletic about it and like I like did not care (laughs) because I'm like I'm over it I catch it at every wedding like I don't care anymore I literally just stood in front and usually the person in the front doesn't get it it's usually like in the back or in the middle because they never just are like let me just throw it but she was standing up on the stairs and she threw it like really far back but it like hit the banister or whatever and it ricocheted down and it literally just like fell into my lap. I was like, 
okay. <laughs> so that was fun. That's truly, I'm just saying, that's the sign from above. When you don't make it and it literally falls in your hand, I'm just, I'm not putting pressure on your boyfriend. I'm just saying, like, that's the sign from above, Felice. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, it's been five July 3rd, it'll be five years. So, you know. Yeah. Just throw out there. Oh. <laughs> yeah there you go uh felice it is always a pleasure talking to you i really appreciate you doing this uh you know one of the one of the benefits of of retiring from mixed martial arts at least is you don't have 19 million people bugging you for interviews and media stuff and you actually get to take a break from that so i truly do appreciate you taking a little time for me to do this because you don't have to you can be like you know what i don't need to talk to anybody right now piss off uh so i appreciate you taking that time uh and uh, you know as i said before i'll say it again uh i look forward to whatever you're doing next in the combat sports space obviously i'll be there front and center to see you do it and uh you know unfortunately you may be retired from mixed martial arts but you're never getting rid of me i'm still gonna bug you for interviews i'm sorry to tell you um so you know be prepared because i actually did get requests to do other interviews you're the only one that i said yes to so you're welcome damon I truly appreciate that, Felice. Thank you again, and we will talk soon, okay? Perfect. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. It's always a pleasure and an honor to speak to Felice Herrick. I'm sure we will talk to her again in the future. Uh, best of luck to her in whatever she ends up doing next. She will be fighting again, just not in mixed martial arts, which, again, teach their own. Uh, awesome that she's going to have other opportunities, and awesome that there are other opportunities to be had in mixed mar in uh combat sports outside of mixed martial arts uh big thank you of course to both felice herrick and josh emmett for stopping by the show this week make sure you check us out every single week on fighter versus writer we drop on tuesdays over at mmafighting.com we're also on all of your favorite podcast platforms apple Podcasts, spotify uh stitcher and pretty much everywhere else as well and, of course, over on MMAfighting.com. We will see you guys next week for another edition of The Fighter vs. The Writer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. 
It's no wonder the Fundrise Flagship Fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com Flagship. This is a paid advertisement.